What's so great about the new? The old ways, the old words have served us for generations. But the old ways had not served everyone. We back up a bit in the second chapter of Luke's gospel where we get the Christmas story and we're, you know, we're moving toward that as we move into this next season. We remember that Mary and Joseph at one point early in his life, he was about 12 years old, they lost him. Remember that? They lost 12-year-old Jesus. They were in the big family caravan after having departed uh, the, the Passover celebrations in Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, we can imagine, uh, as we kind of read between the lines of what we're given in the gospel, that Mary turned to Joseph at some point and said, you know, I haven't seen Jesus for a little while. Have you seen him? And uh, Joseph, you know, being the dad, uh, looked probably slightly guilty and said, no, I'm, but I'm sure he's with the cousins. It was a full three days, if you can imagine, before they located Jesus. And can you remember where they found him? Yes, thank you. Uh, Kirkwin's Bible trivia this morning. They found him back in the, in the temple, all the way back in Jerusalem. Late in Luke's gospel then, as we fast forward, in the 19th chapter, we get a story of what has come to be known as the cleansing of the temple. When a, you know, a more upset adult, Jesus declares, my house shall be a house of prayer. And we are told he was daily teaching in the temple. And there are several other places, of course, throughout Luke's gospel where the temple is presented as this sacred and holy place which does not surprise us. The temple was the center of Jewish faith and religious life. All of which makes it all the more shocking when we hear in this 21st chapter of Luke's Gospel, when some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. Clearly, Jesus is letting people know that things are going to change. Beloved, sacred things even, that have always seemed permanent. And whenever Jesus starts talking like this, people want to know, first they want to know uh, exactly when Jesus is all of this going to happen. The disciples want a timeline. They asked him, teacher, when will this be? And what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And the religious leaders, the chief priests, the scribes, they want to know by what authority Jesus is teaching such things. By what authority is he chasing the money changers out of the temple. After all, this is the way the temple operates, always has, right? The people are coming from great distances in most cases to worship at the temple, to make sacrifice. They need the proper animals to make the animal sacrifice. That was part of the worship system of the day. So, you know, you can't carry a couple of doves in your in your pocket and expect to keep them alive as you travel all the way across the, the desert. Uh, or a goat if you were a wealthier person and you can't bring your foreign currency to put it in the temple treasury. It's not allowed. It's got to be changed into the proper currency. And so the, the religious leaders are simply pointing out that th this system has always been this way. It's how we've always done it. 
And boy, does this train of thought hit close in the church, huh? It's the way we've always done it. It's the way we like to do it. Sometimes the last thing any of us want is in this ever-changing world in our complicated lives is, you know, another change. Given the choice, we opt for settled and familiar. We often have trouble dealing with, with the new. And even for his closest followers, they're going to have to change their concepts of what it's going to mean for Jesus to be the Messiah. I mean, born in Bethlehem, of all places, born to parents without any religious credentials or, or you know, political status, and then Jesus starts calling his first followers, and none of them had very impressive resumes to speak of, you know. And then, you know, when he starts to, you know, show the, the power and bring healing to people and physically heal people, he does it on the Sabbath, the wrong day. And if you're going to heal lepers, Jesus, do you have to physically touch them? They are ritually impure. And then he's out there in public speaking to, to women, and a lot of them didn't have great reputations. Jesus was breaking a lot of molds, and some of those molds were sacred. The way it's always been done. Instead of referring to the Torah to settle religious questions or to share religious truth, sometimes Jesus would tell these stories, and some of them had no immediately obvious spiritual value to them. He talked about new commandments and a new covenant, as if there's anything wrong with the old. He spoke about new wine, when everybody knew the old wine was best. He spun stories about new treasures and new cloth and talked about new community, a community that everybody would be welcome in. Unlike the existing religious structure, the community of faith at the time, which kept certain people out, for instance, those who were stricken with leprosy, this community would welcome everyone. And in this community, the last will be first and the first will be last. And if that's not enough, he, Jesus rides into town on a donkey and the people go wild and then he throws the money changers out of the temple and the coins and the doves are flying all over the place. And they knew this couldn't be. What Messiah would create such a ruckus? What Messiah would die on a cross? The religious leaders of Jesus' day asked over and over again in various ways, What's so great about the new? The old ways, the old words have served us for generations. But the old ways had not served everyone. The old ways enslaved some and shamed others and walled some people off from the very presence of God. And maybe the religious leaders had forgotten some of their own history. For Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel all prophesied of a new world coming. And we just heard from the ancient prophet Isaiah, For I am about to create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy, and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem, 
and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. I suppose that it is part of our human nature to often feel uncertain about new things when they come. Some of us can remember the first day we sent our kids off to school or took their training wheels off or when they got their driver's license as my nephew did this weekend or went away to college. All of life is a continuing series of of encounters with the new, a new job, new town, new baby, new realities for the church. We all know the strangeness of entering some new wilderness, and we know that these experiences are not always good ones that we had hoped for. They often involve some hurt or pain or anxiety or fear. Every step forward means saying goodbye to the way things have been and moving into a new, uncertain future. And this is exactly where Christ Jesus promises to meet us at the very point of our greatest fear. When the foundations shake and the world appears to be falling apart, I go ahead of you so that where I am you may be also. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and plagues and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven but not a hair of your head will perish. This is the promise of the one who goes always ahead of us. When we face those dark valleys, he is already there. When we are afraid of what's next and what's new. Behold, says the Lord, I am with you. Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I am with you. Let's take a few moments to just contemplate that reality in the midst of our changing lives and changing selves and changing world and changing church. Let these next few minutes, this song, These images remind us of God's presence through it all. For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. And so it was not in the night of some great triumph. It was not on the night of the transfiguration when Jesus was revealed in all his glory with Moses and Elijah on the mountain type. It wasn't that night. It wasn't in the night that he showed his power over illness and death by healing the bleeding woman and by raising the soldier's daughter. It wasn't in the night that he showed his power over death and raised his friend Lazarus. It wasn't in that night. It was in the night in which he was betrayed by his closest friends. In that dark night, knowing that you and I will face our own with a promise 
that where he is, we shall be also. It was in the night in which he was betrayed that our Lord Jesus took bread and gave thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat, this is my body. It's given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup and gave thanks. He gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant. New, the new covenant in my blood. It is shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. And so we shall. So in a world that sometimes feels as though it may be spinning out of control, maybe your own personal world feels like that at times, maybe even now, you know, we are reminded of this, this promise, not a hair on your head will perish. The time when Jesus was trying to help his followers, his disciples understand that to call him the Messiah, they're going to have to adjust their ideas of what that means to call Jesus the Messiah. They're going to need some new ideas. Jesus said, my father's house, there are many rooms, and I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also, and you know where I'm going. And Thomas blurted out, we do not know the way. How, how can we know? How can we know the way? We don't like all this talk of change and, and then of you not being with us. We don't know the way. And Jesus says essentially to Thomas, yeah, you do. You know the way, Thomas. I am the way. It's me and the truth and the life. And you're going to be where I am whether or not you believe it strongly enough or understand it clearly enough, not a hair on your head will perish. This is the good news that we gather around. We feel it even as we're standing here now. We've been fed and forgiven. We've been blessed to head out into this world as bearers of this very good news. And so do we go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you.